Hey, welcome to the Word Weaver podcast, a place dedicated to the powerful web words weave and the deep layers they uncover. Here you'll find a compilation of tips, tricks, and words of wisdom from writers, authors, creatives, and entrepreneurs. Basically, cool people doing cool things in the world and how they've used words as weapons of mass creation and inspiration. You'll also hear from me, your host, Louise Johnson. I'm a former marketing maven in New York and Switzerland. I left a lucrative job to follow my dream of becoming a writer. It's a never-ending journey, so I figured we should all be in it together. I've learned a lot along the way, but it's a constant evolution. My favorite part is how little by little, letters turn into words, words become sentences, sentences become paragraphs, and before you know it, you've created something from nothing. And whenever that happens in life, it's nothing short of magic. So grab a coffee or a glass of wine, and let's dive into today's chapter. Welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. You are listening to chapter 21. I can't believe we're back in a brand new year, even though January 1st is just a date on the calendar that us humans have created to denote time or organize our lives into manageable chunks. I still love the feeling of starting fresh with a clean slate every January 1st. Happy 2019. The Word Weaver podcast is back with a vengeance with upgraded equipment, better sound quality. I really took the time over the break to focus on what I wanted this podcast to be about and who I wanted to have on as guests. I really wanted to be intentional with all of it and prepare as much as possible in advance so that you're getting the best podcasts every week. There are so many amazing interviews coming up that I cannot wait to share with you, but I'm excited to kick off this January 2019 edition of the Word Weaver podcast with Paige McPhee. Paige and I met and connected nearly a year ago at a writer's event here in Toronto, all about how to make and publish your book. Paige was the keynote speaker at this event, and we got to talking afterwards. She even signed her own book for me, as she's the self-published author of I'm In Like With You, a collection of almost love stories geared towards millennials. It's such a beautiful book. You can still purchase it on Amazon. In fact, I just want to read, it's a really short blurb on the back of the book, what it's kind of about. It's really relevant, I think, to millennials today about the frustrations, the hilarities, but also those kind of in-between relationships that we all have. I think being in this Tinder world has really kind of changed the way we approach connections with people, and Paige really captures that in this book. So on the back cover, I'm just going to read it quickly. It says, if you were wondering, this is not a book about love. This is a book about black eyes and white collars, frosted glasses of pink lemonade and pints of beer, concussions, engagement rings, and 3 a.m. phone calls. But more than anything, this is a book about almost. The could-haves, should-haves, and the incredibly close. I just love that description. I think she's such an amazing writer and is able to capture a feeling of a generation, which I think is hard to do. And if you haven't guessed already, not only is she a self-published author and public speaker, but her day job is also as a freelance writer based here in Toronto. She is also the social media manager and producer for Notable Life, as well as an on-air video host for Nar City Canada. 
If you're from Canada, you've likely heard of Notable and Narcity. Those are those articles that are shared all the time on Facebook feeds. The content on both of those platforms are geared towards millennials, and it covers everything from news, food, travel, beauty, dating, entertainment, and gossip all across the country. As soon as I met Paige, I could tell right away that she's one of those rare people who's just a go-getter in life. She's extroverted where I'm introverted, but I was drawn towards that. She really listens when you talk to her, and she doesn't just have goals and dreams and hopes written down somewhere hidden in a notebook. She actually puts those goals and dreams into action. She hustles hard for what she wants, and she finds a way, even with her busy, jam-packed schedule, to accomplish everything she wants to in life. I knew that I wanted to have her on the podcast for that very reason. She's just so inspiring, and I think from a young age, she really knew what she wanted and can share a lot with young writers or people looking to be a freelance writer or publish their own book someday. More than anything, what I hope you take away from my chat with Paige is just to be confident in going after what you want. It's the start of a brand new year. There's no better time than to go for it than right now. I had a way with words for a while. Hi, Paige. Thank you so much for coming on the Word Weaver podcast. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Right off the bat, I have to ask, as a writer and video host for Narcity and Notable, you interview a lot of celebrities, people in pop culture, and I'm so curious to know who has been your favorite person to interview so far. Interviews are definitely a really fun part of being a writer and being a journalist in the city. My favorite interview to date, probably the one that meant the most to me, was Arkells. I'm a huge Arkells fan. They're written into my book and everything. Like, I love them. And I've bumped into Max over the years. I'm just literally out and about, whether it's at like a media event, I've literally bumped into him at bars. I actually was at my book launch by pure accident. We went to get well after my book launch and Max was at the back of the bar. My editor came over to me and said, Paige, I don't want you to freak out, but you know, our Kells are here and I just started freaking. So it was a really nice and sort of full circle moment when I got the call that uh, we want you to go, we're going to drive you over to Hamilton and, and interview our Kells before their big rally show. So it was a really nice moment just to sort of connect with a band that I've loved and supported for such a long time mm-hmm. and really get that personal time. And Max even was like, where do I know you from? We've met before. And I was like, yeah, we've met like here and there. And it was just a really nice moment for like the personal and professional to like mesh. Yeah, that's really cool. Has anybody been a diva that you've interviewed or really not what you expected? So I had the opportunity to interview some castmates from the Bachelor franchise earlier in the year. I remember seeing that on Instagram. I was very excited to interview Jordan Kimball, who made a big splash in the past like 2018 Bachelor series on Bachelor in Paradise and on The Bachelorette. And so I was so excited to interview Jordan. He was definitely like a favorite for me over the season. But right before the interview, um, a couple days before it came out that his fiance had been inauthentic and like wasn't in love with him was using him for fame and using the franchise and so he just canceled all his interviews he canceled that could have been a way for him to do a positive media spin yeah it definitely could have been and i do understand why he canceled his interviews but that's the only like diva moment i've experienced that i can talk about that's true you can't say it i always like to see people's like character development because i really think who you are as a kid 
manifests later in life and it comes out in different ways even if it's a long journey for some people but it seems like you've always known that you were a storyteller looking back at childhood one of my favorite forms of play was always storytelling playing pretend doing these elaborate little plays for friends and family and it was always something that came very naturally to me in terms of developing that storyline and directing friends and family which I'm sure was very annoying (laughs) (laughs) playing with a kid who's telling you no you're supposed to say this I was always attracted to those traditional stories when you're watching a movie or a tv show even my mom used to tell me that when other kids would sort of lose attention I would be the one that was very engaged and like sit through a movie while everyone else is going around and playing and so as I grew up I was a big bookworm still am and loved reading when I woke up in the morning before I went to sleep and then as I sort of got older my mom saw this sort of opportunity where she was working at the time. Um, My mom was an art director for the National Post for like 20 years or so, but a very different direction of media than like what I'm in now. Mm -hmm. So they were looking for just some kids to review some books, probably when I was around 10. And uh, the book editor just tossed me a couple a book or so thinking, yeah, whatever, like we'll see if this kid can write anything legible. Because a lot of the kids in the office are parents' kids in the office, you know, it's just a fun little gimmicky thing. Yeah. But mine was actually pretty good. And the book editor was like, oh, okay. And she would give me a book every month or so. She she would invite me in and I would grab a bunch of books and I'd read them and review them and they would go on the paper. So you're published at age 10. Yeah. From age 10 to probably about 13, 14, I was doing book and play reviews consistently for the post. So that's, that was definitely a good launching pad. And then like going into university and high school, English and drama were always sort of my strengths. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I have interest in history and religion and culture and whatnot. But I always, it always came back to literature and writing and creative writing. And I majored in that when I was in uh, university. I went to University of Toronto and Sheridan College. I did a dual major. Um, and one of my majors was professional writing. Amazing. This is something that I wanted to pursue and something that I enjoyed so much. And when I was in university, I interned with Narcity. That was like my first sort of step into professional media outside whatever work I had done with The Post when I was younger. That was a really good just launch pad for me going forward for digital media, at least. And then after you graduated, did you start working full time for Narcity? What was your first kind of job out of school? So when I was in school, actually, I freelanced for a couple different magazines Mm -hmm. just because I think I have a good work ethic. And when I would be finished with schoolwork or an assignment or literally doing a shift at Starbucks, I was a barista when I was in school. That is hard work. I really enjoyed that. I think you have to have a certain personality to be a barista and to enjoy that work. But I really love interacting with people and, Mm -hmm. you know, brightening their day in like a very easy way. And it's so easy to do that with a cup of coffee. I love that. You're right. It's like the little things. Yeah. So in school, I was just sort of like, there are a lot of different things that I like to do, but obviously writing was one that I wanted to monetize when I was still in school and get that journalism experience. Yeah. So I freelanced for a magazine called Clear Life for about a year. It was digital and it focused on sort of like house and home type vibe. So a bit about like clothing and brand story, food, recipes, green living, eco-friendly. And that was a great experience because a lot of people who were on that magazine were sort of industry professionals from the print space that were trying to do the digital transition. So good to grab some experience there. Um, I worked for a real estate magazine, which was definitely less traditional in the 
print landscape, but still a lot of really cool interviews there as well. Yeah. So then out of school, I actually contacted my old boss. I literally had gra- had finished all my classes in April and was looking for jobs immediately. I was looking earlier in the year, but more seriously, obviously, when I had finished my classes and I contacted my old boss because I saw a sponsored content writer uh, job opening at Narcity and I messaged her about it. I'm like, hey, I saw this post. Do you guys need anyone for sponsored? I'd love to get into that space. And she's like, oh, actually, like that sponsored job is in Montreal, but I have a staff writer position open. Do you want to come in? I went in to see her. We talked. She basically, she <laughs> she let me know pretty quickly that I was the one that she wanted through um, the interview. And we were friends when I was interning as well. So it was great to just join the team shortly after in a space that you know and space that you're comfortable with and content you're comfortable with as well. want to go into your book because you're very young and a lot of people wait until they're older out of work a lot of time to write but I feel like you're such a go-getter like your whole trajectory you always knew okay I want to be a writer got into the digital space you started interviewing people what was the jump to writing your first book I'm in like with you I always knew I wanted to publish something and ideally I wanted to publish young because I feel like as we get older, as you said, it's so much easier to get caught up in different tasks. Maybe you're starting a family, seeing somebody seriously, really trying to push your career in another aspect. I know a lot of like writers also have, you know, another, another career path as well. So for me, when I was picking places that I wanted to go to for school, the reason I ended up choosing U of T over like a Ryerson or Carlton, both of which who have really good media and journalism programs, there is a an optional master's style course that U of T offered literally called Make a Book. Granted, it wasn't called Write a Book. It was Make a Book. So more about the publishing process. Oh, cool. Which is very interesting. But that really did sell me because I was like I want to do this and I'm a person who really needs those hard deadlines as all writers do like writers don't need time writers need deadlines oh I love that yeah absolutely my one of my profs said that and it's so so true because when you have those deadlines in place and somebody holding you accountable it's so much easier to get the work done Mm -hmm. Um, not that the work's easy but you have that pressure and you have that deadline reminding you of what you need to accomplish in what period of time it came time to do my book I was in my last semester of school I was doing I was juggling a lot of things I was writing for three places I was work still working as a barista and I had was doing six courses which is one over the standard course limit at U of T which was not recommended especially with this master's course but I find that the pressure and all the different acts that I was juggling really did help because at the end of the day I was still prioritizing the book. Like I was coming home after a full day. I was coming home after a shift, after I'd gone to a meeting and working on the book. So in terms of content, when I was in school, I was always very interested in the romantic narratives, like the storytelling of relationships, of that longing, that interest, friendship, because to me, those are the stories that you can really color authentically and easily and also incorporate different narrative elements of like drama or tragedy or something like that. My book is all nonfiction and I say that loosely because nonfiction is as we know a little bit of fiction in itself. There's always a narrative weaved throughout. No one wants to read your diary unless you're Anne Frank. Right, exactly. It has to be relatable to other people. Absolutely. There has to be some sort of theme or some sort of like relatability, um, character development. 100%. 
the real push to do I'm in like with you was I at Narsty was writing about romantic relationships and such. I had just written an article that did very well, went like got a bunch of shares and it was called um, why almost relationships are the worst because I, the more people I talked to in the millennial demo, the more people could relate to this dating story that I was telling about this intimacy between two people that never really progresses like it's sort of an intimacy trap between two friends or two people who know each other very well or two people that have good romantic chemistry and it never really progresses and it's quite toxic to be honest when I shared that story I didn't think that many people would resonate with it um when in fact I would have girls DMing me on Instagram being like oh my god I read your story like it makes me that's exactly what I'm going through it made me feel so much better that I'm not alone all this and I'm like oh my god well maybe this is a good starting point for my book and the summer before I had just gotten out of a quote-unquote almost relationship with someone and there was a lot of residual like heartbreak and longing and I still really cared for him but I knew that what was happening wasn't healthy at all yep I'm a type of person that if I know something is bad like and I get pushed to that point I need to cut it off and anything that any residual feelings or anything like that that's going channeled into my work Oh, I love that. Otherwise, it will linger. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's important to get that all out. So it's not in your head anymore. And it's not in your heart either. Because even writing stories about almost relationships or people that you had romantic, intimate, or just friendships with, it's a good way to honor that time as well. Sort of preserve it for what it was and step away. Exactly. And it's kind of cathartic writing it down. It's a tangible thing you've poured into, so it's not in you anymore. It's external now when it's in a book. I think that's amazing and so smart. And you tapped into something that is uniquely, I think, our demographic, millennials. I like what you're saying. You were taking six courses, working at Starbucks, so busy, but you still came home and wrote it. So that shows you had so much passion for it. Mm -hmm. There's that saying like, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person because they'll figure out how to slot it in. What was your writing process like? Because that's the hard. I think a lot of people have ideas for books, would love to write a book. I think everybody has the capability to do it. But sitting down, putting word after word to get it done. How did you stay motivated? Did you write in your bedroom? Did you go to coffee shops? How did you get it done? As sad as it is, heartbreak is a great way to get something done in that you're, you have all of these memories and all of this tenderness that you don't really know what to do with, especially when you can't give it to somebody anymore. Um, so what I did was literally just like poured all of that out onto the page because there was no nothing else I can do with it. I was very, very sad and I just needed to get it out at that point. So I would write in my bedroom um, I would write in the U of T libraries, which I found to be like beautiful and calm and sort of getting that alone, <laughs> I don't know, solidarity in a place full of people mm-hmm. was always very comforting for me. I would write in coffee shops. Libraries were a big thing. I would go to the, my, my childhood library that I visited and I would write there quite a bit. Can you tell us about the self-publishing process? You did it on Amazon Create Space. A lot of writers, I think, look at self-publishing versus traditional and they're not sure where to go. I'm a fan of both avenues. and I'd love to hear your experience. Would you recommend it to other writers? So self-publishing was something that I thought was the easiest way to get this work out and make, to make it timely because mm-hmm. the, it was a very 
relevant book to what I was feeling at the time. It hinged on the fact that I was in university, that I was a student, um, because a lot of the stories were coming in from high school, from university, summers, that sort of lifestyle. Also, as a part of this actual course, I was typesetting this book as well and like hiring graphics designers to help me look at cover, to look at the line spacing, kerning, letting, all that stuff, which was also a nice project for my mom and I to do together because she has so much experience in art direction. Mm -hmm. So to be able to work with her on like making sure all of my pages look perfect was a really nice, unique moment for us to work professionally together that I don't know if we'll ever get again. That is really nice. That was important for me. I could have handed it over to a graphic designer to typeset the whole thing, but it was more important to me that we worked on something together, especially like a very pivotal project for me, like this book that she also had dreams of me writing as well. Like it was almost a shared dream. So to do it together, it was really meaningful for me. Absolutely. I don't know. I didn't write this book under the impression that it would be like a bestseller or like sell a zillion copies, or I would go on a book tour or like spend a lot of time and money marketing it or hiring people to make it work because the content is so personal to me Mm -hmm. and because it was written in the way that it was around relationships and people and places I didn't really feel like it needed to be anywhere else than Amazon like I didn't want to pimp out these stories and people to uh, a publisher Of course, I would consider reworking it and sending it in proposals to different publishing companies. But as it stands right now, I think it's meant to be what it is and like access it. It's not to say that I want to shy away from it, but it's accessible to those um, who are looking for it, who are interested, who can like resonate with these type of stories. But um, self-publishing was just an easy way that I could get it out quickly that I could make sure it was formatted and designed in the way that I enjoyed and to keep it sort of on a smaller scale. Yeah. And I don't even know if you would need traditional publishing. I think that is like you said, if you have like you were able to market it with your own platform, your social media savvy. I think other writers don't like to put on that marketing hat and you're able to do that. Would you recommend self-publishing for other writers? I would say It depends on the nature of your work, Mm -hmm. the type of project and what you want to do with it ultimately. Like if you're looking for a really sellable book, like let's say a self-help book, I wouldn't recommend self-publishing a self-help book because that's something that could easily be monetized and like pushed out to different publishing companies and to the masses. Like this book isn't for every single consumer out there, if that makes sense. So like, I think you need to know if you like who you're marketing to mm-hmm. like if you have a direct consumer in mind and think hey like yes this could sell in volumes like this could be very widespread then sure i, I don't want to discourage people from self-publishing because it is a great tool and if you know how to market uh, and market digitally via social and what have you then by all means try it out absolutely well that leads perfectly into my next question social media i love asking writers in particular about it because I struggle with the balance and by the nature of your day job, you are a writer, social media manager, producer. I am so eager to ask you about this. Do you find social media, particularly for writers or aspiring authors, a must have tool for business, a way to market yourself and promote your work? Or do you think it should be used for personal expression 
In today's day and age, all writers who want to be successful writers have to have some sort of business style Instagram account like for themselves. It's not to say that this has to be a very stodgy, like uptight, fully business Instagram account. But I think in any field that you're in, having a an Instagram that you can help convey a strong personal brand is valuable. Even if you're looking at a more traditional media landscape, like actors, singers, any sort of performer, having a strong social presence is almost a prerequisite. Like if you have a strong social background or if you have a strong following, a strong online presence, then people are going to be more likely to work with you. It's sad that that's the case, but you know, it's not a it's not a bad thing to develop a personal brand so that people who enjoy your work are one able to find you, you're accessible online. Um, two can get a, a depth to your personality and maybe a depth to your workflow and work life because that's a lot of thing. Uh, that's a thing that a lot of people are interested in. Mm-hmm especially like even from a writer who tech uh, who traditionally doesn't have the most glamorous lifestyle a lot of people want to see that uh process or that day-to-day or you know what you're working on at that given time the behind the scenes Mm -hmm. do you think one platform is better instagram versus twitter versus youtube for writers i think twitter is a very valuable tool because uh any big writer like any big media person is on twitter like reporters are on twitter writers are on twitter journalists even like social media influencers playwrights yada yada Uh, the majority of them are on twitter Mm -hmm. because when something topical happens or even when something happens instantly twitter is there that's pushing out that information and wants people to comment on it yes so where better place to be for a writer than somewhere where news and current events are continuously spilling in through Instagram is a good platform solely for the visual aspect of it in that like people like to contextualize, especially with writers, the pictures to the words. I don't know. I sometimes read through a book and I'm curious as to who the writer is at the end. You see this little photo of them. You're like, oh, I didn't imagine them to look that way. Like, I don't I don't know if this is the person who I would have like attached to this book. So to get that one step further, like another sort of movement to who they are like to see them on online and be like oh okay this makes sense where this book came from where where your style and tone came from I remember I was at a book fair in like elementary school and I met Kit Pearson and she was my favorite childhood author I was like wow like she's real like and I never thought I social media didn't exist then and I was like oh this is my only chance I'll never meet another author and it's opened up a whole new world now they're kind of pseudo celebrities in their own right you're interviewing people all the time. You do public speaking. And so I'm really curious, have you always had that confidence? Is it a learned skill? I would say that from a very young age, I've been very comfortable doing on stage work or on camera work because I have a personality that's not, ex- not you know, exactly extroverted, but I feel like my energy comes from being on a stage or being on a camera um, just because I love that performance aspect. And that's a big part of narrative for me. When I'm able to do performance or a public speaking event, I tend to think even if it is myself, like I have that external character sort of like come out and that's like my public speaking character or that's like my interview character or whatever. And I don't get really nervous. I don't really get, you know, shaky or anxious about doing a segment or something like that. Sweaty palms. The only, the only time I'll get nervous if I'm interviewing someone else will be a minute before the actual interview. Mm -hmm. Like the minute before the interview, I'm nervous. Then I say hello and then we're fine. 
in terms of like using my my own voice and my own like character to promote a book or do a, a speech or something like that I've always been very comfortable with it. I do have some on stage like experience and like on camera experience from like being in plays and shows. That is definitely something that helped for sure is being on stage in front of an audience um, several times. So you can definitely pick it up and get better at it. The more you do public speaking, the more comfortable you'll be. Right. But for me, a lot of it was natural. The whole practice makes perfect mm-hmm. 10,000 hours thing. Yeah, absolutely. The more you do it, the more comfortable absolutely. you get. Which do you prefer, the writing when you're kind of hibernating, hunkering down, doing, which I think of a book as a marathon, that's a full project, or do you prefer kind of being out talking to people, promoting a book, that performance part of it? I don't know. I think the two are both very different. The writing, I would say, is usually always for me. Mm -hmm. So that's from me to me putting down the, the words and like figuring out the prose and the style and the flow, the sound, like that's all like me refining my own craft and being happy and feeling confident about my work. That's between me and me and like me and a client versus like public speaking where I sort of a bit, have a bit more free reign or doing a video where it is a lot more relaxed in what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah such a stereotype but when you're happy and everything is going well there's not as much to write about as when you're going through something more turbulent so I haven't really been doing a lot of personal writing these days aside from like journaling I do journal every day I think it's really good for stress and uh, anxiety and just like having a better night's sleep at this point in my life I'm gravitating more towards like on camera and like video stuff do you have any advice for freelance writers because that you have to write like you said to a client Mm -hmm and you have to flex your own personal writing style. Do you find that difficult? And do you have advice for people who are trying to get into that arena? I think that writing freelance isn't terribly difficult if you're willing to put your ego aside. Because a lot of different publications, although your voice is important, those publications in themselves have their own voice. So if you're not willing to tailor your work to the voice of that publication, like it can still definitely be written in your style and your tone, but you need to be able to work that language to be appropriate for that uh, publication. So as long as you're willing to listen to your editors, which everyone should always be listening to their editors, put your ego aside, it sucks and it is frustrating sometimes. They ultimately do know best. And uh, in terms of like getting into the writing space, a freelance space, I think always keep your eye out for publications or outlets that you enjoy content from and that like you find yourself going back to. And don't be afraid to shoot off that email to an editor or even if it's a general email, like, and send a couple if you don't hear anything back. People in these businesses, in these outlets are very busy. And so if you come to them with a pitch and they don't respond, like, try again, try, try their assistant, like, try someone lower, like, try someone higher, like, just you know, find somebody that will want to listen to you because people are always looking for more content. And it's not personal when they respond. Like you said, everybody's inbox is overflowing these days. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they appreciate that gentle nudge. Mm -hmm. You're not being annoying. You're being a go-getter. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate it. Even when PR companies are like emailing me to pitch me and, you know, it's been a busy day, their email gets lost and they're like, hey, just follow me up. Do you want to you are you interested in writing about this or whatever like oh my gosh thank you like otherwise I would have lost it how do you unwind how do you decompress and what do you do for self-care because that's a really important part of being a writer 
I've definitely been lacking in the self-care department <laughs> over the past couple weeks. And I was even thinking about this, uh, saying it to myself yesterday, because the style of work that we've been doing at Notable has been so much more client-facing, client-driven. So uh, we've been putting in a lot more hours than we're used to. In terms of self-care, when it was lighter earlier in the year, like lighter earlier in the day in the year, I would wake up very early, like, well, not very early. I would wake up around 5.30. That's early. Yeah, yeah. 5.30, yeah. 6, depending, um, and make sure I go in and go to the gym every other day during the work, during the work week, because after the work week, after the work day, it is so hard for me to muster up that energy and actually be active. From a mental health perspective, it is so much better if you're incorporating some sort of exercise into your day and if you can't find the time to go and like do an actual workout at the gym or at home it's you know maybe getting off a stop earlier uh, on the subway or on the bus and like taking those extra steps i try to shoot for ten thousand steps every day humans like goals and attainable deadlines and check marks to hit (laughs) yeah no i really do need deadlines even if they're personal deadlines that's funny at night i've been trying to get into the routine of putting my electronics i'll always put my laptop away before i go to sleep it's the phone that i need to put away you know a half hour before i'm ready to go to sleep so if i want to go to bed at 10 30 my phone has to go down and i can't look at it at 10 that's done and then just like sitting down journaling so i do my journal at night i'll put in like three things that i'm grateful for throughout the day because practicing gratitude is a really good way to like flow your anxiety out of your body like center yourself and then i'll read but and i'll read myself to sleep yeah that's a really good wind down routine my final question is we're heading into well we're in a new year when this goes live i love asking about 2019 goals and resolutions i just made my plan for 2019 and i reviewed my wins and my gratitude for 2018 and i found it really cathartic and really helpful so what do you have on the go and what are your hopes for the next year the next three years 10 years is pretty lofty so i like to say one to three years see i haven't done my reflection for 2018 yet though i i was thinking about a little bit yesterday and i have gotten to do a lot of really interesting work over the past year i've gotten to travel a lot for my job and both like both personally and for my job and i've accomplished a lot in terms of where I'm working at now, the level of work that I'm doing, the team that I'm working with, they're also great. And they're definitely, they definitely inspire me to work harder and like climb that ladder. But what do I want in the next year? I'm looking for growing my personal brand a bit more. And I definitely need to slot in more time to like do that work and set up content shoots and put time aside for like personal writing and stuff like that. Over the next three years, I was talking last night about maybe writing another book. It's something that's definitely not going to come out in 2019, maybe 2020. As I just need to figure out what kind of direction I'm going in. I've always been sort of infatuated with this one criminal case from 2014 an infraction at a very uppity private school in new hampshire and i was always so interested in those characters so i think maybe that's somewhere i could go with that i don't know if it'll end up being that or if that'll be maybe like a short story within this book but i am definitely going to think about it more flesh it out maybe have a meeting with my editor in the new year to like chat that out but i think just focusing on creating a better balance for my work personal life as well Mm -hmm. this year has definitely been a lot about work which i'm never never remorseful about but 
definitely need to continue to make that healthy balance. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to follow your journey. This has been amazing. And happy new year. Happy 2019. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a treat. I'm so happy we got to do this. That's it for today's chapter of the Word Weaver podcast. You can find Paige on Instagram and Twitter at Paige McPhee. And her debut book, I'm in Lake With You, is available on Amazon. For the show notes from today's episode, make sure to check out louiseclairjohnson.com slash podcast. And you can follow along on Instagram at wordweaverpodcast. Until next time. I had a wait with words for a while.